we all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold let's talk finance wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot yahoo finance does just that it consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis making it easier to manage your investments Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, you're listening to the 100th podcast of the Peter Schiff Show. And most of you will recall the Peter Schiff Show began as a daily syndicated radio show where I did two hours every weekday of live radio. But when I decided that I no longer had enough free time to do the radio show, I ended it. But then I ushered in this new format of the podcast, and I record my podcasts uh, whenever I have a spare moment. And so I am no longer uh, committed to being at the microphone from 10 a.m. to noon, five days a week I just record the podcast when I have some time and this is the 100th podcast and I guess uh I don't know if that if it time is going quickly or slowly 100 seems like a lot it seems like I've done a lot of podcasts and I hope everybody has been enjoying them I also hope that you're sharing them that is really my goal for the podcast is that you tell your friends about them. You get other people listening to these podcasts because it's certainly more convenient than the radio show. They can listen whenever they have their free time. I record it when I have time. You listen when you have time. And so hopefully you're helping me to spread the word and getting more people, not just my core audience, but helping to expand my listenership by getting more people to tune in to The Peter Schiff Show, uh, either at schiffradio.com, via my YouTube channel, 
or on any place that carries the podcast. If it's iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else uh, it happens to be available to listen or to download. And, you know, by the way, too, you should also avail yourself of all of my social media outlets. I noticed that uh, this week I hit 60,000 Twitter followers, which still seems quite a bit low because I have, I think, over 95,000 Facebook likes and over 120,000 subscribers to my YouTube channel. So it seems that Twitter is bringing up the rear. But, you know, don't forget Twitter. I do tweet out a lot of interesting comments on the news events. I, I comment on a lot more of the news events on Twitter these days than on my podcasts. You know, I don't necessarily get into all the news that comes out uh, during the week, but I do address everything on Twitter. And I do put up some stuff on Facebook. I put up a link to this article about that guy. Remember this guy, the CEO who got MSNBC, fell in love with this guy, but he was all over the place when he announced his $70,000 a year minimum wage salary, right? He wasn't going to pay anybody less than $70,000 a year. It was a real Marxist type model, right? From each according to his ability to each according to his needs, right? No matter how productive you were, you were still going to get $70,000 because, you know, that's what you need to live. So he was going to be really altruistic. And I warned, I forget what podcast, it was on this podcast where I warned that this was going to be a disaster, that this guy didn't know what he was doing and he was going to jeopardize everybody's job. So even the people that were earning thirty or forty thousand a year, yeah, maybe they earned seventy thousand for a while, but then they'd be unemployed. And the worst thing is, you know, you get these guys used to the seventy thousand because they're being overpaid. So maybe they commit to a bigger car payment, they borrow more money on their credit cards, maybe they rent a more expensive apartment, and then a year later they lose their job. And now if they go get another one, they're not going to find some other idiot willing to pay somebody seventy thousand a year to do thirty-five thousand dollar a year jobs, right? So then they end up they might end up bankrupt, right? No good deed goes unpunished. And this was maybe a good deed or maybe a publicity stunt. I have no idea. But, you know, it's going to backfire. And little did I know it would it would fall apart so quickly. I mean, this thing unraveled. The company is teetering on the verge of bankruptcy already. And it's only been three months. This thing has been one big disaster for the entire firm, the owners, the customers, the employees. And so I put up a post just linking to a um, an article and surprised, I think 250,000 people uh, have already read that article because they saw it on my, my Facebook page, even though I only have you know, 95,000 people that are liking me. So I put up stuff like that. So friend me, uh, you know, follow me on Twitter, you know, subscribe to my YouTube. There's all kinds of stuff. I'm reaching out there on social media in addition to this podcast and get your friends involved. Get other people sharing this information, listening to this information. Now, what I want to really talk about on this podcast is this bombshell. It should have been a bombshell that was dropped on the markets by the Labor Department on Friday in the form of the Employment Cost Index. Right now, this measures the cost to employers to hire people. And there's basically two components, right? There is the wages and salaries, and then there's the benefits. And so salaries, they were looking for them to be up uh, six-tenths of a percent for the quarter. The prior quarter, it was up seven-tenths. So they were looking for a little bit less. Instead, we got just two-tenths, two-tenths. Now, this is a nominal number, right? This is not adjusted for inflation, 
So even if you adjust it for the government's version of inflation, that means that real wages were down right, for the second quarter. But to put in perspective how weak this number was, this is the weakest quarter, the smallest growth since 1982. That's a long time ago. I graduated high school in 1981, right? So this is the, the smallest increase in wages in a quarter since 1982. Now, the reason it's the smallest since 1982 is because 1982 is the year that they started keeping the records. So who knows when the last time there was a quarter where wages were up this little because we only have the records going back to 1982. And since they began keeping records, this is the lowest. Janet Yellen has been saying that before she can raise rates, we have to have an improvement in the labor market. And I've always understood the improvements to be wages, participation, and full-time versus part-time work. And basically, we're 0 for 3 right now. All three are falling. Real wages are falling, labor force participation is falling, and full-time employment is falling, right? It's only part-time employment that is on the rise. So this should have been a big negative. And in fact, as soon as this number came out, I mean, they sold the dollar hard. I mean, the euro skyrocketed, Swiss franc, dollar got crushed. Gold even managed, it was down about five or six bucks before it came out. And then it came out, it was up like $10, $11 right away. So there was a knee-jerk reaction to this, you know, really bad news, right? I mean, because the Fed says we want the labor market to improve. We get this lousy, horrible number, the weakest on record in wages. We know the Fed has been lamenting the fact that we haven't any wage growth and they want wage growth. And now we find out that we're going in the wrong direction. This would mean that the September rate hike should be off the table. So that's why the dollar weakened. But then the dollar pretty much clawed its way back most of the day and then gained everything back today. The dollar had a strong day today. Gold was down again, seven, eight bucks. Not quite a new low, but back below 1080. They crushed the gold stocks. New all-time record lows, right, in the gold stocks. Why? John Hilsenrath, who is basically the Fed's lapdog, mouthpiece, whatever you want to call him, right? He carries their water. He comes out with an article saying that the Fed doesn't need wage growth to hike rates that this is not like a deal breaker, like the rate hike isn't off. The Fed doesn't really need to see wages growing. Really? I mean, that's a new one to me because they've always talked about why they need wage growth. Now, all of a sudden, they don't need it anymore. I mean, it seems that the Fed is trying to go out of its way to preserve the pretense that it's actually going to raise rates. Because now, based on this, it should be obvious that they're not. But the Fed doesn't want it to be obvious. They, they want it to be a secret. They want people expecting rate hikes so they can get the psychological benefit of a rate hike without the real-world damage of actually hiking rates, right? They get to pretend that the economy can withstand higher rates without having to raise rates and disprove that. Right? So they can have their cake and eat it too. So they sent Hilsenrath out there to say, hey, yes, we don't have any wage growth, but don't worry, because that's not a deal breaker. We can still raise rates. Well, if the Fed is still saying that they're not going to raise rates unless the labor market improves, and if they're taking wages off the table as one of the measuring points, then, then what are they waiting for? What are they waiting for? What are the improvements that the Fed is looking for? before raising rates. Well, all that's left 
is the labor force participation, which as it stands right now is the lowest since 1967, or more people working full-time instead of part-time. And that, and that's not happening either. So even based on the other two remaining criteria, even if the, this is true and the Fed doesn't care about falling real wages, then that's all that's left. But, you know, it seems that no matter how much bad economic news comes out, right? And if you have Janet Yellen and she says, I'm data dependent, right? And all the data that she's depending on is horrible, right? I mean, look at, you know, I mentioned it last week, but the U.S. economy has grown at 1.45% for the first half, about half of what the Fed was estimating. You know, look at the second quarter. Second quarter was uh, 2.3, assuming they don't downwardly revise it. But that's half of what the economy grew better than 4% in the second quarter of last year. But everyone wants to talk about how fast the Chinese economy is slowing down. We're slowing down even faster. But maybe, you know, they're going from 100 miles an hour to 70, right? You know, maybe we're going from 20 miles an hour to 10. I mean, we're slowing down faster from a slower speed. And of course, eventually we're going to go to zero and start backing up. That's where we're heading. And then look at the stock market. The stock market looks very toppy. Without the Fed coming in with QE4, this market's going to roll over. And remember, every time the stock market started to sell off in the past, the only thing that stopped the selling was the Fed. The cavalry would come riding in, right, with the bugle and the, and the flag. You know, QE4, QE4. That's what happens. The Fed is coming to save the day. So whenever the market starts to sell off, that's what's happening. You've got the Fed coming to the rescue. So clearly, if the market's selling off, unless the Fed's finally willing to let the market collapse, which I don't believe it is, because remember, it built this recovery, and not on rock and roll, but it built it on a stock market bubble and a real estate bubble. That was the goal of Ben Bernanke to create a recovery based on the wealth effect of rising assets. Well, they're not going to let those assets collapse after they spent seven years propping them up using QE and 0% interest rates and Operation Twist, they're not going to let that whole thing unravel, that house of cards collapse. And so everything that's going on, the economic data being lousy, the market looking toppy, all of this would argue for no rate hike in September, yet they're still saying it's going to happen, or worst case, December, but the, the odds makers are still saying that it's a better bet that we get a September. So it seems to me that it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz, right? Because Janet Yellen is saying, I'm only going to raise rates if the economy is strong, if the labor market improves. And we think we're going to raise rates sometime later this year. Ergo, the Fed must believe that the economy is going to improve Otherwise, they wouldn't be stating that they're likely going to raise them. This is what people are thinking. Therefore, when traders see the bad economic news, they think, well, it really doesn't matter about this bad news because the economy is going to improve. And so if this is the, isn't the news that shows it's improving, that good report is obviously right around the corner because the Fed knows about all this bad stuff, yet the Fed still thinks they're going to raise rates. But since they're saying they're only going to raise rates if the economy is strong, then they must believe it's going to strengthen. And so we can ignore all this bad news. Don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain. Just look at Janet Yellen. 
right? Forget about all this bad economic data because Janet Yellen says, don't worry about it because it's not real. It's going to turn around. The economy is going to be great because I think I'm going to raise rates. And I'm telling you, I'm only going to raise rates if the economy is great. And so since I'm expecting a rate hike, I therefore expect a great economy. So you can ignore all the evidence of a weak economy because the Fed says the economy is going to be strong. So it's like everybody is waiting for the Fed to admit the obvious. It's like, you know, the emperor has no clothes. Everybody is staring at this naked emperor, yet no one wants to say he's naked until this one little boy says so. So we're all looking at this economy and everybody's pretending that it's clothed in a recovery and it's, a, and it's all naked and we can all see that there's nothing there, but nobody can admit it until Janet Yellen is that little boy who's going to say that this, this recovery has no clothes. I mean, it's amazing that this is actually what's going on. And if I wasn't witnessing it myself, it's hard to believe it, but it is actually happening. So they buy the dollar, they sell gold. And hey, by the way, I wanted to mention on what's going on in the gold market because you know you've got this dichotomy between the paper market right where people who don't own gold and have no ability to deliver it are selling gold to people who don't actually want it people are gambling on the price of gold and the amount of gold being gambled right all the contracts where people have agreed to buy gold that they're never going to take delivery of from people who don't have gold and have no ability to deliver it. We now have more paper speculators, the ratio like 120 or something to one than ever before. You now have the first time ever that hedge funds are short gold, but you have more paper gold trading relative to the actual physical supply than it ever before. So you have all these people betting on the direction of gold, but in the real physical world, the actual buyers, it's skyrocketing. The mints are running out of supply. Orders are getting backed up. We're running out. You know, we actually have a special now. I don't know how much more silver we have. We might be out of it already. We've got a deal. We bought some of these uh, half-ounce silver rounds, and we're selling them, I think, at the, the lowest price you can find a half-ounce silver uh, on the Internet. But, you know, we're limiting um, the number to customers because we know clients want these coins, and there's not that many. We, we're going to run out this week. Uh, but... You know, we buy a lot of gold and silver from the Perth Mint. I mean, they're stretched to the max. They're at capacity. The U.S. Mint is, is, is as busy as it's ever been. Shift Gold, we just had our busiest month in years. In fact, things are so busy, I got, I got to hire somebody. I need another salesman. We've got the phones are ringing. People are buying, right? The price is going down, even though it's making new lows, people want to buy. By the way, if you, if you, if you want a job, you don't have to be licensed or anything, but having some prior sales experience is good. Definitely, you want to be a believer in precious metals, you know, so that you can help sell something, a product that you believe in. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably believe in it. But hey, send resumes to info at shiftgold.com. That's info, I-N-F-O, at shiftgold.com if you want to be one of my gold specialist really you're on the phone uh you're selling it's you know it's a good job you can make a six-figure income but you know we charge very low commissions we're not like one of these firms that you know rip people off with huge markups so you can make money but only if you do a lot of volume right because we're not you know ripping people off with you know numismatics but i you know i think you will be able to do volume and the volume is going to pick up but what's really interesting just a phenomenon that 
the reaction, my precious metals customers, right? And I, I, I have people who have bought gold and silver from me at much higher prices, right? Because gold got as high as 1900 Silver got as high as, as $50. Now, I have clients that bought gold from me in the 300s and silver from me in the 4s and 5s, but not from Shift Gold. They bought it through the Perth Mint at Euro-Pacific uh, Capital. I didn't get, you know, Shift Gold started much more recently. And so the prices now are, you know, at the lower end of where they've been since Shift Gold has been in business, right? So I've got a lot of people who bought at higher prices. Nobody has called up to sell. Right? Nobody is saying, hey, I bought gold at 1800 and it's now down at 1100 so I want to sell it back to you. Because we buy it back, right? We buy back everything that we sell. Nobody is calling to sell. Everybody who's calling is calling to buy more, right? Hey, I want to buy more. It's on sale, right? We're get and we're also getting a lot of new customers. I mean, about 60% of our business is repeat customers, people who have bought gold or silver in the past, calling up to buy more, but we're also getting new customers. People are reacting to lower prices by buying, which is what they're supposed to do. I always say that, right? Lower prices, people want to buy, right? The government thinks people want to buy high prices, but in reality, you know, you want to buy when the price goes down. That was, that's what creates demand. But on the, on the other side of the coin, my brokerage clients, people that have brokerage account and asset management accounts, most of the calls I'm getting now are from clients who are wanting to sell. Hey, I looked at my statement, my account's down 20% or whatever from where it was, I wanna sell. So why do you wanna sell? Well, my account's down, I wanna sell. No, they should wanna buy. It's interesting because gold is down for the same reason that our stocks are down. Our stocks are foreign and the dollar is way up. That's what's driving gold down. That's what's driving our stocks down. My brokerage clients, my asset management clients should be acting like my metals clients. They should be calling, with smiles. Hey, I want to buy more. My account is down. It's not because we're picking a bunch of bad stocks. It's because the dollar's gone up. You know, it's interesting. You know, I have Europe Pacific Canada. Some of you listen to this podcast are Canadian. My Canadian clients who hold the same stocks as my U.S. clients, their statements are going up, right? Because their statements are in Canadian dollars. So my U.S. clients, their statements are in U.S. dollars. So the accounts are going down. Even if my stocks are going up, they're not going up as fast as the dollar. The dollar is going up faster, and, and so the statements are going down. But people should react in the same way, because this is a bubble in the dollar. This is a bubble in confidence in the U.S. recovery that doesn't exist, confidence that the Fed is finished with QE when they've only just paused, confidence that the Fed is about to embark on a rate tightening cycle. Well, I don't think we're anywhere near that. I think we're about to do more QE than we've already done. I think the Fed has only just begun to print money. They're just warming up those presses. The helicopters are still in the hangars. So this is early in the money printing game, yet everybody thinks it's over with, right? That's why they're buying the dollar. The same reason they bought the dollar in the 1990s when they got into that bubble. And, and this is a bigger bubble than then, and I think the U.S. economy is in worse shape, but people were worried about Asia in the 1990s. They were worried about the uh, Asian economic crisis in 97, the Russian debt default, Y2K, the disastrous launch of the euro where the euro was down 30% in the first year it was out. Everybody was worried, but America was the greatest place in the world. We had budget surpluses as far as the eye could see. Of course, it was as far as Mr. Magoo could see, as far as I was concerned. And hey, it was a new era in the dot-com stocks and trees were going to grow to the sky. That was a bubble that burst. 
And the dollar fell for seven years and hit a new record low. It got saved by the financial crisis of 2008 and then, you know, sold back off again and then rallied the last few years. This is its last uh, gasps, you know, of a dying currency. I mean, talk about a dead cat bounce or a sucker's rally. This could be the mother of all sucker's rallies. And it seems that people who are buying precious metals from me understand this. But for some reason, a lot of the people who are buying foreign stocks aren't making the same connection. You own stocks in Australia, New Zealand, or Canada. They're down 30% just on the FX. So if your stocks are only down 20%, that means they're up 10% in those local currencies. But it's not just there. It's all the Scandinavian currencies that are down. Emerging market currencies are down in Southeast Asia, in Latin America. Even the Swiss franc is way down. I mean, it may be up against the euro, but it's certainly down big against the dollar. The Singapore dollar, down. I mean, all these currencies are way down against the U.S. dollar. Not because these countries are in better shape. They're in way worse shape. But look... The U.S. is like a dot-com stock or a social media stock. I mean, there are plenty of companies that have no earnings where the prices are just skyrocketing. That's us. That's America. So I call it like America.com in crash-proof, right? So it's, it's, it's going up. The dollar is going up. You have low-quality stocks with no earnings doing a lot better than blue-chip companies because a bunch of fools are buying the stocks. But that doesn't mean that those fools are going to end up with money in the long run, when the stocks crash and burn because they run out of greater fools willing to overpay for those stocks. So we're going to run out of fools willing to buy the dollar with levered money. These are speculators making bad bets. They just don't know how bad the bets are, just like the speculators who are buying the subprime mortgages. You know, people got rich shorting subprime mortgages because a bunch of idiots bought them. If it wasn't for those idiots who were buying those mortgages— the few smart people who are shorting them wouldn't have made so much money. Well, those same idiots are buying the dollar. Those same idiots are selling gold. Don't copy the idiots. Bet against the idiots. So my precious metals customers are betting against the idiots by buying more gold on this dip. Do the same thing. And, of course, the vast majority of our uh, brokerage customers and managed account customers aren't panicking because we have, what, 25,000, 30,000 accounts. But I am talking to several clients a day who are like, oh, get me out. I need to sell. And, I, you know, most of them, after I have this conversation, they realize, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't be selling. I should be buying more. You know, what I tell a lot of my clients, you know, let's say someone started with me three, four years ago, and, you know, now they're down because we've had this big dollar rally. And they'll say, oh, well, let's sell. And then I'm going to say, well, well, let's think about this rationally. Why did you open up an account in the first place, right? I mean, you were worried about the U.S. economy. You worried about the problems and how it was going to ultimately impact the value of the dollar. Well, are you no longer concerned? Do you think we solved those problems? Is there nothing to worry about now? It's The coast is clear. You know, you don't need this insurance anymore. Well, no. Everybody I talk to agrees that whatever the problems were three or four years ago, they're bigger now. The problems have gotten bigger, not solved. So everybody agrees that. And I say, well, okay, so what you're saying is that the rationale for buying a portfolio of foreign stocks is as good, if not better, than it was when you first opened up the portfolio. Yeah, well, then well, why would we want to make a change? Plus, the dollar is now more expensive than it was a few years ago. It is more overpriced. Therefore, from a timing point of view from a market point of view the foreign stocks that we were recommending a few years ago 
are a much better value today from an American's perspective because we can get them on sale because our dollar goes further in these other countries. So we can buy these assets cheaper. So adopting my strategy now makes more sense than adopting it two, three, four years ago. And you get a better entry point because of the exchange rate. So why would you be cashing out the strategy? You should be adding more to it. And it doesn't matter that, you know, maybe somebody is down 20% because you can't do anything about that. Well, let's say you, you put in 120,000 and now you're down to 100. The bottom line isn't, hey, you know, yes, I could have waited and invested my 120,000 today. Look, that, that's in the past. You got to make a decision based on where you stand right now. And hey, I got 100,000. I start with 120. I have 100. What's the best place to invest that 100,000 right now? And if the answer is right where it is, then that's where you leave it. The fact that it used to be worth 120, now it's 100. That doesn't make a difference. The difference is where would I put my 100 if I was starting from scratch today? And if you come to the same conclusion, the US economy is a mess. We have serious problems that are only getting worse. The dollar's a bubble and is eventually going to crash. Then you, know, you don't have to make any changes. You just have to psychologically accept the fact, look, yes, I should have done it today instead of two or three years ago, but that's only with the benefit of hindsight. And you can't count on a sucker's rally. You can't say, well, I know the dollar is going to collapse, but I'm going to hope that it rallies before it does. Because what if it doesn't? You don't know. You only know, you know after the fact when it's going to happen. But believe me, too, the people that are going to try to get cute, the people that are going to try to finesse this thing and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to stay in the dollar until it's obviously crashing, and then I'm going to buy these foreign stocks or I'm going to buy my gold, it'll be too late. By the time it's obvious to you, it's obvious to everybody. And when something is obvious to everybody, do you think it's still going to be cheap? Of course not. When these markets turn, when the dollar turns, when the metals market turns, it's going to be quick. And it could be big. And if you're not already positioned, it's like the train leaves the station and you're not on it, so you've missed it. And this is an important train because there's not another one coming. If you've missed this one, then you're, you know, you've missed it. So I want to make sure that everybody is on board and ready to go and taking advantage of the fact that, hey, we got a gift horse. Yes, we got this sucker's rally. I didn't think we'd get uh, this big a drop in gold stocks or this big a rise in the dollar so that we can buy foreign stocks or energy stocks at such cheap prices. But you know what they say about gift horses, right? Don't look them in the mouth. Just take advantage of the opportunity. And I am convinced this is one of the best opportunities I've seen to sell U.S. dollars and accumulate quality assets around the world and physical precious metals or any companies uh, that operate in that mining space where they are the cheapest, the cheapest they've ever been in history. Not just the cheapest of this cycle, but the cheapest ever. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. 
Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com.